0: It's really important to be able to understand what data is in play, what data is relevant to a particular matter so that you can take reasonable steps to preserve it. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and you're in for a real treat today because I have Molly Nichols. And we're going to take a wide-ranging look at the intersection of some interesting areas, law, data, maybe some ESG, and perhaps even data governance and compliance. So, Molly, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Sure. Thank you, Tom, for having me. Molly, could you tell us your professional background?
0: Yes. So, I'm a lawyer, and for most of My professional career, I was a litigator, so I started in Texas. I was an assistant U.S. attorney and then went into private practice, moved to the East Coast and became a full-time law professor at William & Mary Law School. And then I kind of went back and forth. I was a partner in a law firm that specialized in information law, and then I was in law firm management and large law firms like Goodwin Proctor and Hogan Lovell's. So I've had a varied career, mostly as a litigator, but I started focusing on digital evidence and e-discovery and privacy and everything to do with client data beginning around the year 2000. So could I ask you what your current role is? So I am currently the chief executive officer of Redgrave Data. We're a, a legal technology services firm. Who are some of the customers
1: or clients of red-grade data? Would it be law firms? Would it be corporate law departments? Would it be a variety
0: of others, perhaps? For the most part, it's any entity that deals with the legal issues with big data. So our clients tend to be law firms that work with clients that have these issues. So the law firms have to deal with the big data legal issues or we deal directly with those large entities most of our clients at this point are tech companies that expect from their legal representation that their lawyers are going to be dealing with their issues using the same type of technology that they would expect that they would use in their business so they want AI and that type of technology used in their legal representation as well.
1: I'd like to go back to the start of your legal career and ask you, first of all, where were you in AUSA and what type of work did you do or did you specialize in the type of cases other than just being a general litigating prosecutor, if I can use that term?
0: Yeah. So I was at AUSA in Texas. I started in El Paso and then moved to Austin. I was a AUSA for seven years, and I did a little of everything. I did civil work. I did criminal work. I did quasi-criminal work. And I was even uh, detailed to the executive office for U.S. attorneys in Washington for six months. But I think the most impactful matter I had when I was with the U.S. attorney's office, I was in Austin, and I was on the case that determined whether the seizure of unopened email was a violation of the Wiretap Act. Was there a contemporaneous interception of that communication? And what the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ultimately found is that it was not a violation. But they did find it was a violation of the Storm Communications Act. So that's really what piqued my interest to begin with. Keep in mind, this was 1990 when this was going on. So I was in AUSA 1987 to 1994, I believe it was. I mean, this was before we had the forensic tools that we have today. I mean, literally agents would go in and unplug a server and pull a server. And that's how they would do a seizure. It was just different. So we created a law back in the day. So that really leads to the next
1: question I wanted to ask you, which was, You've been in the intersection of law, data, and tech for quite some time, but what drew you into that arena, or was it really an outgrowth of your interest of your work as an AUSA?
0: So it piqued my interest when I was an AUSA, but it wasn't until I was a special assistant to the Texas Attorney General in the late 1990s when I got hooked. So I was assisting with a a matter where it would be Texas Attorney General was doing an investigation and all the big companies ended up producing the documents electronically. And in the year 2000, that was the Attorney General called me in and said, Molly, what do I do with this? (laughs) And I said, let me figure it out. So there weren't many tools available in the legal sense at that time to deal with it, but I did find an analytics tool. This analytics tool, I used it to craft a document, a dummy document would be a smoking gun. If I could find this document in this data set, then this is exactly what we need to do. So I typed it up. I fed it into the analytics engine. The engine started ranking the documents close to what I had drafted. And we found one smoking gun document after another. And for me, it was that aha moment, how powerful technology could be in the practice of law. And I literally changed my career at that moment in time to focus on technology and how it could help lawyers and how it could help clients to deal with their legal matters.
1: In one of your roles you worked at Hogan's Lovell with the title Head of Advanced Client Data Solutions. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what that role entailed.
0: So for me that was a dream role. I totally enjoyed myself at Hogan Lovells. I was able to build a global program for them to deal with these client data issues that they were having on a global scale. So I built a team and brought in different type of technology so that lawyers worldwide had these AI tools to be able to help clients the same tools whether they were in Hong Kong, Singapore, Germany, Spain, the UK, the US, you know. So they were able to have those tools available to them to assist with whatever legal issues they had, whatever legal matters that we were representing them. I built a team that started building tools where there were gaps in the commercial tool market. So, we're in the middle of the heat of a matter and we couldn't find a commercial tool that would work. And I had a team of developers that would actually quickly put together some sort of utility. Now it wasn't pretty, you know, you wouldn't look at it and go, "Oh, that's a pretty nice tool." But it was effective and we would do the testing and figure it out. And we had tools that we built that we saved the clients millions of dollars in a very short fashion. And so we automated things. We developed data visualizations that helped with the lawyers being able to develop their legal strategy. And really, that was our job. It's how can we take our client's data and be able to put it in a fashion that the lawyers can be able to pull the story out of the data so that they can, in turn, represent the client in the best way that they can.
1: I've interviewed a lot of white-collar defense lawyers, and almost to a person, they've told me the first question they get, either when the government comes knocking or there's a self-disclosure or something along the lines of, do you have the data tied down? So I wanted to ask, Is that been your experiences? Was that part of your role? But also when you talked about looking at the data and analyzing data, giving it or help giving to the lawyers so they can use it or helping them understand what's there so they can use it. The lawyers tell me that's an equally important part of the credibility they would have in discussions with the government. So I was just wondering your thoughts on those topics.
0: It's really important to be able to understand what data is in play, what data is relevant to a particular matter so that you can take reasonable steps to preserve it. And so that is something that we can do. We did at Hogan Levels. We can do at Red Grape Data as well. So uh, spoliation, it's a problem. Obstruction of justice on the criminal side. So it's something important, The, the ability to identify what is relevant and then the ability to preserve that information so that it is not deleted in any form or fashion so that it can be used within the the litigation.
1: I'd like to now turn to Redgrave Data and ask, I think you said you founded it, and what led you to found the organization and what are sort of the data or rather analytic capabilities of Redgrave Data?
0: So... I used to be a partner at Redgrave LLP, which is the law firm that we are associated with. Redgrave LLP is the preeminent law firm that focuses on information law. I enjoyed being a part of that law firm, and they're on the cutting edge of all of these legal issues. I left Redgrave LLP to focus more on the data because that's the one thing that the law firm didn't do. So. Sometime last year, Jonathan Redgrave called me up and he said, Molly, why don't you do what you're doing at Hogan Lovells and set up an entity and be associated with Redgrave LLP? Let's do this together. So it was a great opportunity to bring my team with me that I, I built it, at Hogan Lovells and to bring a couple of other well-known folks in the industry like Dave Lewis, who was the chief data scientist who built BrainSpace, which is one of the top legal AI tools that we use today. So I was able to put together what I call the dream team. So I said, yes, let's do this. So one of the things that I've always had a beef with in the market is that the service providers focus on this as a commodity. So taking the data pushing it through whatever process and host, get a bunch of lawyers to review it. And that's what they do. So it's not custom. It's not automated. It's not tailored in any form or fashion to what is actually needed in the matter. And so we do something very different. We look at data visualization and how we can make better decisions before we push data through the process, the legal process that needs to happen. We look at automating processes that lawyers were doing before. I can give you an example. We have a matter that's ongoing right now where they had lawyers looking at the regulatory reps. Websites and pulling down new information from these websites to assist a client with some regulatory needs. Well, we automated that. We have 400 pages every night that we see if there's any new material. We pull it down, we put it in a review tool. It was costing thousands of dollars a day. Now it's costing $3 a day. You know, (laughs) it makes a difference. You know, they were doing it for a legal purpose, for a regulatory purpose. Lawyers were doing it. A lawyer didn't need to do it. We could have a bot do it. So those are the kinds of things we do. We use commercial tools when we can. We use, like I said, Dave Lewis is the chief data scientist for BrainSpace. So that is a tool we leverage quite a bit, but we're really tool agnostic. So we use a lot of cloud tools as well. AWS is one of those. We do content analytics focused on privilege and you know, PII and things like that. A lot of the cloud-based stuff we do is with translation and transcription, but we also do through AWS Comprehend, the sentiment analysis. They also have PII and PHI identification. They also have custom classification, but data visualization comes in, So communication analysis is one of those things that we use. And then developing heat maps. I think highlighting one of those, you know, something we've done there as well. We had structured data that came in that was hundreds of millions of rows that we were able to build a heat map so that the lawyers could see where their product was sold and what share of the market they had. So they were able to develop their legal strategy based on that. So it's really taking that type of information and being able to present it in a way that's meaningful. But we do that through using these tools. From a a breach standpoint, we can do a log analysis that way as well. So it's just structured data. So we have many tools available to us to do that analysis.
1: I'd like to turn to the area or the topic, rather, of data governance and ask, first of all, how does Redgrave help a company in the area of governance? And then do you see an intersection of data governance within the G and ESG?
0: Yeah. So I think you have to take a step back. And when you're looking at a company, they're running a business, when they're running a business, they generate data. They rely on that data to make decisions. They look at trends. They look at results when they're developing their key performance indicators or their whatever they're measuring. They're looking at this information. It's very important to them. The problem is if they're not able to find that information, then it becomes a problem for them in business. You also have to look at it from the legal perspective. From the lawyers, from the general counsel's office eyes, they need to be able to find that information from a legal perspective to provide legal advice to the organization. So this data governance piece is very important to both the business and to the lawyers. What we're seeing these days is more of that intersection of information governance, the data privacy, cybersecurity, e-discovery. It's all about these data sources and being able to find the information and meeting the obligations, whether they're regulatory or they're for litigation, and then being able to run the business. So it's really important that you have a handle on your information so that you can meet all of those objectives. What you don't want is all the trash that ends up in the organization, that junk data that ends up really clouding the issues so you can't find anything or you have a system that impedes the ability to search and find something and or you can't do the appropriate reporting or you're using a third party which A lot of people are outsourcing now, so you're not getting the relevant data that you need in order to measure what the third party is actually doing. It's really important from a data governance and a corporate governance viewpoint to be able to have that transparency into what's happening and how to find things and then how to measure that. That's what we can help with. So, we assist with finding those data points. And then, if the systems don't talk, we can assist with glue code or whatever we need to do to pull the data into a dashboard so that these types of metrics, these data points can be viewed, measured, so that again, you have the information you need whether it's to provide to a regulatory body whether it's to provide to a legal entity whether it's for the business so that's the type of thing that we do but it's really important for a company to understand what data they have and to be able to respond to regulatory inquiries or obligations they have you know from a data mapping standpoint from a cyber standpoint You have to know where your data is. Where is consumer information? If you have a breach, you're going to have to be able to respond quickly and to notify the appropriate individuals whose information was compromised. It's hard in the mega organizations. I mean, it's hard in just a regular organization, much less some of the biggest of big companies. Does Redgrave help? Lawyers or other
1: clients utilize data to tell stories. Mm -hmm. Is that something you can help a lawyer understand? Uh, Many of the listeners of this podcast are either compliance or legal professionals, and they really need some help with that. Is that something you guys can assist with?
0: In fact, that's where I had my aha moment was being able to find those smoking gun documents and being able to tell that story. I think where we Can tell the story the best. It's when we're helping with investigations. Internal investigations are really fun because sometimes you don't know exactly what you're looking for and code words are used. And so you have to use analytics to figure out what the code words are. And then you see people trying to subvert any type of analytics by throwing in, uh, we had one recently that used Pink Floyd here and there. And, you know, it's like, so the analytics would throw it somewhere else. And so, yes, we do. We do use analytics to help with stories. It helps not only with structured data, but with unstructured data. And it depends what you're trying to find, but we have the tools, the analytics tools that will help put together the story. And that's the whole thing about using machine learning and analytics tools is that you're able to pull the story out of a lot of data. And the nice thing is that you can use these types of tools on disparate data sources. It's just getting harder and harder because we have all these different proprietary tools that we're having to mine, you know, and we're having to get data swipes and GPS and this, that, and the other, and we're having to put them all together to understand what that story is. So that's something that we do.
1: Let me ask you to put on your prognosticator hat and look down the road to 2025 or maybe even beyond. Where do you see the need for data analytics in the types of clients and customers you work with? And then maybe uh, the same thoughts around data governance.
0: Yeah. So I think we're going to see more disparate data sources. We're going to see more outsourcing to the cloud. And so there are challenges with all of that. There's going to be a greater need from a regulatory standpoint to be on top of those data sources. So to be able to have insight to them, I think you'll see clients more inclined to develop predictive models to find the data that is relevant to whatever they're trying to find. For A client now, we're building a model library that is being deployed within their organization, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that type of thing. So it's really focused on their data and finding, in this case, it's privileged information, and it's built for them, for this particular client. It's important from a lot of different aspects to make sure that information that is either highly confidential or is privileged, be in a place that's not outside of the organization until it needs to be.
1: Molly, uh, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but before we leave, I have a special bonus question. Oh, <laughs> and uh, You're a fellow Longhorn, so I rarely get to interview fellow Longhorns. I went there a little after I did, but I wanted to ask if, what are one or two of your favorite memories from your UT undergrad days?
0: I have to say I had the best, best time at University of Texas. I have three degrees, so the triple crown from UT, my undergrad. I have a JD and an LLM in international law. So I started out at UT as a a young woman, very shy. And then by the time I left, I was the chair of the Texas Union Board of Directors and confident and a leader. And it provided me the opportunity to do that. And so I can't think, you know, I would love to say it was the football team and and it was between Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams. So we were okay, but but it was really the opportunity to grow as a person and to grow as a leader. It provided me that. So
1: Well, unfortunately, we are near at the end of our time now, but before we leave, I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself or Redgrave or really any of the services you provide or topics we've discussed, what would be the best place for them to go?
0: Our website, it's uh, redgravedata.com. All of our contact information is on there for each of our founders, including Dave Lewis and myself. So don't hesitate to reach out.
1: Well, Molly, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I greatly look forward to continuing this conversation. Yeah,
0: thanks,
1: Tom. Hook em horns. Hook em <laughs> horns.
0: If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.